Everybody, it's Adam Shartoff, your host of Filmwax Radio, and this is Friday, September eighteenth, two thousand and twenty, and this is episode number six hundred and thirty-five. We have Rick Burns on this episode. I want to say right from the outset that problems happen, especially when you're dealing with Zoom and other things. So he got cut off before the end. Uh, I just want to put that out there, but it's still a very wonderful, robust segment. It just gets caught off at the very end. We didn't get to say, well, we did say goodbye. We had a very nice conversation, and uh, but unfortunately, at the very end, he got cut off. So I apologize for that. But you'll still enjoy this, I'm quite sure. We're going to go to that in a moment. The film he made, by the way, is it's called Oliver Sacks' His Own Life, and it's going to be a film forum, uh, uh, well, on their virtual site, on their virtual cinema that they host on their website. And then it will eventually be on PBS, on American Masters. However, we'll get to that in a moment. I'm, by the way, thrilled to have Rick Burns on. You know, I had his brother on the show many years ago, and I was always wanting to bring Rick Burns on, and I hope that this is the first of many visits. But this, I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, and, you know, Oliver Sacks was a tremendous character, tremendous. So, the, and the film is very entertaining. We'll get to that in a little bit. We also have, coming up after that, a uh, segment with uh, returning to the podcast, Ileana Douglas, the actor, Sydney Stern, the author of the Brothers Mankiewicz book. I had her on some months back, and she's back with Ileana, and also Alex Mankiewicz, who is the daughter of Joe Mankiewicz, the director, uh, who is one of the two subjects uh, from Sydney's book. And the reason we're gathering these three wonderful people together in this one segment is because they are doing a panel discussion event at the 92ndStreetY.org on Tuesday night, this coming Tuesday, at uh, 6 o'clock on the 22nd of September. That's 6 o'clock Eastern Time. You can go to the 92ndStreetY.org, 92y.org, and get a ticket and uh, be there and enjoy the the uh, program as they discuss uh, Herman Mankiewicz and Joe Mankiewicz. I uh, love the book. I love Sidney Stern. I love Ileana Douglas. And I love Alex Mankiewicz, my latest friend. Uh, and we're going to go to that afterwards, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in a few minutes. But first, let's go to my conversation with Rick Burns. Again, the name of this film is called Oliver Sacks, His Own Life. It comes exclusively to the Film Forum website on Wednesday, September 23rd. Uh, I recommend you see it if you are a fan of Oliver Sacks, because uh, Oliver Sacks uh, invited Rick to do this documentary, and this was just, I think, months, uh, his last months of his life. And But there's no signs of it. I mean, he he was a certainly a, a great example of somebody who lived their life while they had it. <laughs> He lived from 1933 to 2015, and uh, the New York Times called him the Poet Laureate of Medicine. Oliver Sacks was a man of infinite compassion, whose scientific and literary accomplishments made him the first public intellectual in the field of medicine and a revered figure. London-born to an Orthodox Jewish family, 
and eccentric. From his earliest days, his first friend was the periodic table. Sachs was dogged by homophobia, his mother called him an abomination. Self-destructiveness, including extensive drug use as a young man, obsessions with swimming, motorcycling, and bodybuilding. And for many years, the hostility of the medical establishment. Ironically, it was the Robin Williams-Robert De Niro Hollywood movie of his book Awakenings that led to his acceptance by the scientific community. It's an incredible, remarkable story, and I, I strongly urge you to listen to this conversation with Rick Burns, the great documentary filmmaker who uh, has made myriad documentaries over the years who, and have uh, appeared on festivals and theaters and television broadcast for, you know, I mean, the, it's an enor- enormously successful documentary filmmaker and uh, is the brother of Ken Burns, it so happens. So if you're not familiar, check out uh, this conversation. Again, I have to apologize. We did get cut off at the end. I am really trying, folks. It's been especially difficult these past months, but um, I appreciate your patience, your support. So here it is. Again, Rick Burns' latest documentary, Oliver Sacks, His Own Life, available at filmforum.org as of Wednesday, September 23rd. Don't miss it. Rick Burns, here on Filmwax Radio. I first saw my analyst of 66. We are now in our 50th year, and we're beginning to get somewhere. Please welcome Dr. Oliver Sacks. He was the first major intellectual who spoke about diseases to the general public in a way that they could understand. His writing brought back a central aspect of medicine, treat the person and not the disease. Life threw so many things at him, some of which he brought on himself. He was the first to admit. It was at that time they discovered that he was gay. Where do you go where your mother calls you an abomination? You go to San Francisco and stop writing home. From an early age, it was understood that I was going to be a doctor. My brother Michael was diagnosed as schizophrenic. I became terrified for him. Michael was one of the reasons Oliver did what he did. Much of my life has been spent trying to imagine what it's like to be another human being. Hi, Adam. Hi, Rick. How are you? Good, how are you doing? Good. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, yeah. Good. Perfect. Man, I, I've been doing this podcast for a long time. I way before it became like everybody was doing one. And I've really wanted I've wanted you on really early on. I, you're like somebody who I've been looking forward to bringing on. So I'm, I'm, I'm real happy that... Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm really, really super pleased to be here. Thank you very much. So I watched it again. I, I watched it back when originally in the... Was it, the, I guess, in the spring when... It was originally, you know, the Oliver Sacks, His Own Life, uh, which is your documentary, was supposed to originally premiere. So what happened? Uh, why was it delayed? Oh, yeah, I don't know. You know, it just seemed like, you know, we just kind of lazy push it off, you know, sometimes. Yeah, it's a win. You, yeah that'll happen. So uh, I watched it back then and, you know, was really enjoyed it. Thank you, man. And, you know, but finally now it's going to be out. Um, on the 23rd of September. Yeah, we're really glad. I mean, it was, it was in the middle of such a kind of a, you know, for us, a joyous opening run with festivals and then this theatrical release. Um, and it was really moving to see how Oliver's story kind of um, 
It really impacts people. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's so, he's such, he's such an original person. Um, and it comes through so strongly. In his, I mean, he could not. He was kind of helplessly himself. Yeah. Well, he, you know, you miss him when you watch it. It's like, what, a, what an exceptional, you know, person. <clears throat> I, I wrote down here, empathic and compassionate. So, um, uh, yeah, so I was thinking why I wrote down those terms, like how compassionate a person he was. And I mean, it was, that was what that his whole approach to his work and his, uh, you know, was unlike most of the scientific or medical community who tend to separate themselves from the emotional, their emotional life, right. which is, is kind of understandable. But, uh, yeah, I agree. I, you know, I wondered how much that, you know, marginalized him in the in that community. You know, because that and of course that his popularity when it exploded um, in I guess the eighties. Uh, I recall when being him being on my radar with the, uh, the man who mistook his wife for a hat was I'm close enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so I guess that's the question: Was he was he in fact marginalized? Did it did it? He was. I mean, he was marginalized. I think he was, he was a complicated person. He was marginalized by his profession. Mm-hmm. You know, he was marginalized, you know, as a homosexual, atheist, English Jew. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he was marginalized, self-marginalized, you might say, as someone who had very complicated feelings about himself. Right. Um, at the same time, in, er, uh, uh, he was kind of helplessly himself. It wasn't like he could invent, you know, just go like, well, I won't be that way um, and, and do an end run around himself. He had to be himself, as we all do. And yet it was a difficult prospect. And I think that with respect to his profession, you know, which he sort of invented a version of his profession, you know, he kind of melded together aspects of it and in a sense pioneered a new version of yes. a clinical neurology and, and writing in a certain way. And I think that you know, he had the good fortune of coming into the medical world and the scientific world when neuroscience was really just coming online as, a, you know, in the, in the mid-20th century. And the bad fortune, or whatever, it just what, you know, it is what it is. It was what it was. Um, to have, you know, come online when subjectivity, um, consciousness, um, what it is to be, um, inward and have an interior self, which is to say to be a person, we're, we're considered really not, sci- not susceptible to scientific inquiry. Can't see it, can't do a repeatable experiment about it, not, not measurable in a quantifiable way. And so the kind of in the mid-20th century burgeoning of neuroscience, what Oliver was doing bore no resemblance to that. Mm-hmm. And was really both overlooked as like kind of, you know, he's kind of off base or he's a popularizer in what he's doing um, or he's making it up in the worst case circumstances of criticism. In any case, it's not real science. Right, right. Oliver from the start. Hello again. <laughs> I guess we're just going to be a little plagued by some technical glitches it's okay just we'll we'll make the best of it it's it's uh no big deal to me i mean i'll i'll patch it together okay. yeah, of course uh, yeah. yeah yeah we'll fix it well, or as we used to say we'll fix it in post we'll fix it in post yeah. if you could do it i'd be then i could fi- i figure we you're my editor that would be lovely <laughs> yeah, 
Oh, should I pick up where I was, or? Yeah, yeah. I think we were just saying yeah. we, were just, we were talking about the marginal his being marginalized. No, no, that's right. I mean, I think the thing was is that Oliver's interest in neurology and in and in um, was from the inside out. It seemed to be seemed to, you know he had a schizophrenic older brother. He was filled himself with a remarkable sort of a, a kind of unsuppressible delight in terror of just this amazing thing of like here we are we are in the world you know i woke up this morning so he had this permanent childlike wonder which didn't diminish in any way from the moment he was you know came out of the womb until the day he died so it was something that was just in his dna we have to imagine it was in his dna <laughs> and he that was that was what he was interested in and you know, God bless him, you know, while neuroscience was making massive strides forward with respect to all sorts of, you know, measurable, objectifiable aspects of how the brain works and neurochemistry. Oliver was, you know, not uninterested in that. He was deeply interested in that, but he was interested in biology and biography, as he put it, intersect, where, where, and come together to create, you know, in the individual cases of all people, all individuals, plants, animals, um, this miraculous thing where there's a kind of a, there's a specific interiority to them. He worried, was he like his brother's interiority? He was fascinated by his patient's interiority. He was obsessed with his own interiority. And he, you know, in the tormented, conflicted manner that he had, you know, he kind of almost rode himself off the rails in the early decades of his life um, as he tried to escape the marginalization of his family over homosexuality, tried to escape England, did escape England, uh, tried to escape himself through drugs, you know, um, when he got to San Francisco and Los Angeles and on to New York. Um, and at the same time, running through all that, the red thread that's running through all that is this deep, deep abiding obsession with. What is this incredible quicksilver thing, which is who we are. He felt that that was a, that, that was a scientific given. I mean, that was an empirical reality. He didn't feel cogito ergo sum Descartes. God gave it through us. He slipped it in through the pituitary gland, through the pineal gland. Um, so it had a mechanical on-ramp, but, you know, it came from God. So Descartes was a dualist. Oliver was a monist. It all comes, everything comes out of this same substratum, which is atoms and energy in motion. And amazingly, one of the configurations those take, take is Adam. Hello, Adam. And he was thunderstruck by that. In a sense, he was never far from his awareness about himself, about another person, about a dog or a lemur or a fern growing. Oh my goodness, the wonder. And that doesn't sound very neuroscientific. But the fact of the matter is, is as Christoph Koch, who is a neuroscientist and the head of Paul Allen's Brain Institute and one of the leading neuroscientists in the world, uh, protege of Francis Crick, who after discovering with James Watson the you know, the double spiral helical structure of DNA, went on to ask the other most important question he felt. Where does consciousness come from? What are the neural substrates of consciousness? And, as, and so Christoph and yeah. Francis tracked Oliver down. 
in the 1980s. And as Oliver recounts, Francis Crick, this extraordinary Nobel Prize winning end, he says, I want your data. And the way he put it was, tell me stories. I want stories about the interiority, the experience of being someone suffering from visual migraines. I can get at the objective stuff myself, said Francis Crick. But what I'm interested in is what that data are that correspond to the inner experience. And sure enough, by the end of the 20th century, in an ongoing dialogue between Nobel Prize winning Francis Crick, his protege, um, Christoph Koch, and Oliver Sacks, they developed an idea of what they called cinematic vision, which is that, you know, you look around the world, you go, things are in motion. That motion or the appearance of it is being constructed inside your brain in a series of static film-like frames, which are sewed together, stitched together by the brain one picture after another to create the appearance of motion. And with that, so with all of our experience, smell experience, feel experience, sound experience, visual experience is constructed. In other words, consciousness is a marvelous construct and an interplay of outward stimuli and inward creativity, biological, biochemical, bioelectrical, um, creativity. Wow. That's where biography and biology merge. And so finally, after having been held at arm's reach at best, all through the late 60s, 70s, most of the 80s and into the 90s, Oliver found himself now towards the end of the 20th century, sought after, approached, befriended by some of the major people in the neuroscientific community, not just Francis Crick or Christoph Koch, Gerald Edelman, who, who developed the theory of neural Darwinism, Darwinism, himself a Nobel Prize winner, mm-hmm. and gone on to another aspect of science, what, are the, what is the neural origins of consciousness? So it became, in the, in the 90s and aughts, consciousness became a legitimate study right. of, of neuroscience. And now it's kind of no one would ignore it. Now it is like one of the going things. Where do you suppose Freud's analysis of dreams falls into that, though? Wasn't he kind of Absolutely. doing something a little you know, bit? Freud, that's so interesting. Freud was such a massive precursor to this. And Freud knew that, you know, in the late 19th and early 20th century, the state of, of empirical science, just what you could actually reach in and find out about neurons, uh, their interconnection, neural networks. The, what you could see under a microscope, what you could put you on could a... You could not see it under a microscope. Yeah. And so, yeah. in fact, and, and, and Freud said... He said in the 1920s, there will come a time when everything I've said in the interpretation of dreams, um, in all my work, will be rewritten into um, a kind of a more concrete uh, scientific language. But for now, I'm deeply interested in this thing called experience. And that's what he is. He was a scientist of experience. You know, how do I interpret dreams? But what is the structure that I can imagine they unfold within. What's the structure of consciousness? You know, super ego, ego, id. I mean, all of that is, you know, very much a 19th and early 20th century Freudian way of thinking about it. Oliver was versed in that as well. And in a sense, continued that 19th century Freudian tradition, which was itself, case studies were, you know, crucial to it. You know, 
the story of O, uh, you know, Anna O, the, that's Freud's man who mistook his wife for a hat. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of went through a sleep during the mid 20th century, during which a young kid from North London woke up and went like, whoa, 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 I still want, I'm still interested in, the, you know, Anna O. I'm still interested in the Wolfman. I'm really interested in somebody who's been asleep for 40 years and now I've found a way to bring her awake using L-DOPA, a precursor of dopamine. You know, this is the awakenings patient. Yeah. You, know, what's, you know, what's that all about? So the through line is this scientific as well as deeply personal and philosophical interest in consciousness. And, you know, he, uh, we're all Saxon. We're, we're, all, we're all in the party of sax. I mean, he had an immense influence. Nobody doubts that the study of consciousness is crucial, that it's really one of the three fundamental questions scientists ask. Where did everything come from? Big Bang. Where does life come from? Thank you, Francis and James Watson and others. Um, and what's the origin of consciousness? The three fundamental scientific questions. And what Oliver and all the scientists, of course, know is that they're all intermeshed. No mm -hmm. without biology, neither of those things without underlying physics. So he's not someone who's sort of saying, I'm not interested in that. He's deeply interested in that. So he had this kind of omnivorous, and he would say inevitably non omnivorous, kind of curiosity and intellectual disposition, because you can't separate it out. You know, and the cutting edge theories of consciousness over the last 20 years have included, well, can consciousness be encountered by, through, you know, quantum mechanical superposition? You know, you know it, it, it's sort of, there's an amazing exploding field of like, how do we get this amazing phenomenon that matter can be arranged in such a fashion that Adam can be alert? I get that he can be alive. I get, I get that he can be a bag of skin and bones, but he can be alert, that he has memories, that he, can, he has autonomy, that he, he stands up when he wants to, that he can choose. And for those of us who follow Oliver and believing, God did not give that to us. It emerges amazingly from the tangle of wet works, which is our physical being. You know, for someone charged, you know, with that kind of curiosity, what an amazing, I mean, that's the thing he never wanted to let go of. And I think in the worst of times, when he was hallucinating on methamphetamine, when he was self-hating in the depths of his drug addiction or his, you know, self-homophobia or, you know, his loneliness, what kept him alive was an unquenchable and inextinguishable wonder. Mm -hmm. I think that that was communicated to everyone who had the opportunity to spend any time with him, patients, friends, family members, uh, doormen, uh, whoever it was. Mm -hmm. Very quickly, you became aware, like he was like, he'd, be, he'd kind of just reach in. A -a -a Adam, where did you get that shirt? He might say. And you, you know, suddenly you realize you were being interrogated and were deeply in, caught up 
in the mesh of this person's. And so everything was a source of childlike, inextinguishable wonder. When did he come on? When, when did you uh, discover him? Did you, were you reading? Him the way you did, you know, I read, I read some stuff in the New Yorker and the New York Review of Books, Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat, which made him a household name of a kind. Yeah, yeah. The Awakenings, the Awakenings film, which then revived the Awakenings story, which had not been, which had been largely overlooked when it came out in 1973. But the film kind of, you know, by that time, Oliver was Oliver Sacks, and he published all the time in the New Yorker and the London Review of Books. And, you know, he had become, he had finished kind of creating himself. But I, I got to do this film because his colleague, Kate Edgar, who I didn't know, got my number from a mutual friend and called up in early January, 2015 and said, um, Oliver's dying, will you come in and film him? That would have been in, uh, and then you started in- uh, Early January, January, January t- uh, 2015. Okay. And um, I noticed, by the way, just not to jump ahead too much, but that we're, uh, this, we're recording this, you and I, on August 28th and uh, 2020, and he died on August 30th, 2015. So we're just hours, if not a couple of days away from his uh, fifth year anniversary, which is uh, shocking how quickly that it is. It is shocking and it makes it feel how, you know, how recent it is. On the other hand, five years has gone under the bridge. Yeah. And what a bridge it's turned out to be. But the impact has been, his impact, as you were talking before about the, you know, the synergy, or if that's the right term of, of the, as you put it, uh, biology and biography, which I love. Um, we, ha- look how we handle addiction, mental illness. Yeah. We don't just throw drugs at it. We, you know, there's talk therapy. We, 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 we now look at uh, that as a conjoined approach to- 100%. Treatment and, 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 you know, we, right? I mean, so it's, it's extraordinary. I mean, it, and the pharmacological, you know, biological um, effort and advances continue. But it's very, very clear. Um, if you look at work in obsessive compulsive disorder or body dysmorphic disorder or anxiety disorder, yeah, thanks God there are things like, you know, SSRIs. But there's also the cutting edge, you know, therapies of the last 10 or 15 years, cognitive behavioral therapy, dialectical behavioral therapy, in which, you know, what's now very clear is it takes about 90 days minimum to, through the ways you change your conscious behavior and consciousness, through thought and discipline um, and insight, in about 90 days, you can really more than begin to rewire the neurocircuitry of your own brain. Hmm. That's not like, a, it's not wishful thinking. It's not a new age mantra. It's the case. And these therapies, dialectical behavioral therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, they go hand in glove with the biology which taking uh, Prozac or whatever the person is on. But, you know, for obsessive compulsive disorder, very, very resistant to totally resistant to cure by drug, only partially yields to pharmacology. And the best treatment is in, tre- in tandem with pharmacology are things which are essentially Oliver Sacks both knew about and understand, understood entirely. Um, I'm going to learn more about who you are. 
I'm going to create versions with you of who you are in our back and forth, um, in what I learned. I'm going to create stories about who you are. We're going to create them together. Mm-hmm. And that story is going to be, have an orthopedic impact on who you are. I'm going to take this welter of unprocessed, unorganized inner experience, and I'm going to find, I'm not going to impose, I'm going to find and create an order which you and we both agree, you know, that's, that's me. And that order itself, you'll still be who you are. You'll still suffer in the ways you do. But that order itself will begin to have a, as we now would say, you know, a neural network feedback loop. You'll now come to see yourself, you'll not only experience yourself, but you'll experience yourself within the perspective that we've co-created for you. And that new co-created perspective will itself leverage important transformations. And it's not a cure-all, but it works. In other words, what, what, you know, what we might say, like, uh, you can philosophically come to terms with yourself and find yourself at peace. That's not merely accepting the status quo. It's also changing the status quo, mm-hmm. seeing it from a, from a certain point of view. And all that process involves working your neural networks and in so working them, changing them. And they don't run in the same order when you're, when you're finished that process as they did in the beginning. That's a science, the science of, you know, neural consciousness. That's a science which absolutely requires every piece of biological insight we can possibly have, but also requires this crucial component, which is attention, awareness, experience, memory, repetition, um, uh, uh, free will. Mm-hmm. We'll do this which is remarkable that all that has been brought within the orbit of science as well. It should not in order to like go to dominate it, but it must be as precious a scientific reality as exists that you can throw together a bunch of atoms and they can come up at them. <laughs> Incredible. That's amazing. There he is. Neuro, neurologic or neuroscientific wordplay with, with uh, Rick Burns. It's, uh, <laughs> um, but it's not just wordplay. It's also, it is yeah, no, I know. the deep, you know, there's just so many ways to enter, you know, Oliver's career and life. And what's amazing is the integrity of all those ways. Ultimately, they're all stitched together. You know, the biographical, the autobiographical, the personal, the biological, the, you know, his family mm-hmm. story, his professional story. There, there's a, re- a remarkable coherence, which is one of the beautiful things, I think, about the life of someone like Oliver Sacks, that, that it kind of, there is, a, there is a shape to it and a coherence to it. You know, coheres around this phenomenal, you know, and ultimately, phenomenological reality, which is, you know, I don't, don't want to call it a miracle, just the fact of, of, of 
subjective experience, which um, maybe we'll look back and see the period that spit went from Freud through the early part of the 21st century as the dawning of the age of a scientific understanding of consciousness. Mm -hmm. um, and Freud was clearly the great pioneer. Right. And, um, but I, I have no doubt that among the important people whose names will be remembered in this regard, Oliver's will be in there. Um, sure. It's, it's a science we're going to leave behind. So you, you, you um, had to really work quick with him, not knowing how much time you would have ultimately. So you shot, you basically shot 80 hours. 80 to 90 in, hours, yeah. In, in, you hit the ground running, it sounds like. Uh, and we did, we, did six, we, did, we did five 12-hour days between February 9th and February 13th in 2015. And then saw him for a couple more days in April and a couple more days in June. Um, and spoke in between. But those are the days we filmed on. Um, and shot in his apartment for five days. Um, and then we're out in places that were important to him. New York Botanical Gardens. Um, the, in the Bronx, in the in the Bronx, read the yeah. one, and, and, which was very near Beth Abraham, which is where he, right, the Awakenings Hospital, mm -hmm. and an incredible um, uh, sort of hospice and residence in the, in Queens, where he'd done an enormous amount of work um, as a consulting uh, neurologist. Um, seeing him with patients, um, you know, seeing him with old friends. Um, and it was funny, we never, we were always with other people when we were with him. It was always kind of, there was a posse. Um, and, uh, Does it, was that okay with you or did you want to have, did you want to have a little time alone with him at any point? You know, you could get it in the sense that we could then kind of like just push things away and go, you know, lean in. Lean in a bit. Lean in a bit and you know, there's much of the film in which you wouldn't even be aware that other people are there. Um, this, the film, the, the extensive filming in his apartment, half of that is as intimate as a one-on-one -on -one interview. Um, and it turned out when you widened out, there was a, you know, a small cohort of people who changed across the five days. Um, but that was also, I think, not only not minding it, it was taking Oliver as we found him. And he was a person who you know, very much created the kind of the net, the human net, the human network that sustained him. You know, he never had children, um, but he had an amazing cohort of people, patients, colleagues, friends, family members, um, who, you know, people he'd run into on the street. You know, he was, there was, there was a kind of, a, I don't want to in any sense say random, but there was a massive, um, exhilarating eclecticness to the people who Oliver gathered around him or who were drawn to him. Um, and it was apparent, there was never any kind of like, you know, now's the time for the specialist. You know, when you went to dinner at Oliver's house, it was, you know, a Nobel Prize winning scientist and Shane Fistel, a Tourette'er from Toronto. And um, he had this doorman come in and sit down for an hour and eat and Kate and later in life, Kate Edgar, his, you know, 35-year-long partner, editor, publisher, chief of staff, everything. 
um, you know, as Isabel um, Rapin, a neuro neurologist, said of Kate Edgar, um, she was his everything to him. And so there was this wonderful way in which his, just in the, in, in the small way in which, you know, his social circle reproduced his way of being in the world. His great gift was storytelling about the human condition in a medical context, emphasizing the fact that they saw the world in different ways. He would tell these stories so well that people who are brave, lonely, and left out are storied back into the world. Oliver was absolutely dismissed by fellow neurologists. He had his critics. For someone to say that he exploited his patients, I think that's absolutely wrong. Are you a doctor first and then a writer? The real answer is that I'm both, and in important ways, they lend together. Oliver never lost that sense of wonder. Ten days before he died, he was writing. I don't tell you what I'm thinking. <laughs> People think he's saying, look at the others. He's not saying that. He's saying, look at us. Okay, so if you go to the 92nd Street Y and go to their events area, they are highlighting right now that on the, the September 22nd at 6 p.m., if you get your ticket, you can see this master class, The Brothers Mankiewicz, Hope, Heartbreak, and Hollywood Classics. It's the title also of Sidney Stern's book, uh, which you can buy in hardbound audio or, you know, digital, an ebook format. Brothers Herman and Joe Mankiewicz produced, directed, and wrote scores and scores of movies between them, uh, including Citizen Kane, by the way. Herman uh, wrote or co-wrote that screenplay. And by the way, it is that relationship between Herman Mankiewicz and Orson Welles that is the subject of an upcoming Netflix feature film directed by David Fincher, no less, called Mank, and it will star Gary Oldman as Herman Mankiewicz. Uh, and this ongoing controversy who really gets the credit for the screenplay of Citizen Kane. At the same time, his younger brother Joe direct, has directed so many classics, too many to mention, but I will mention a couple, including All About Eve, Letter to Three Wives, uh, No Way Out, The Ghost of Mrs. Muir, and on and on. And this conversation, I can promise you, is going to be wonderful. And uh, Ileana Douglas, who was on this show only a couple of months ago, is back here, as is uh, Sidney Stern, who wrote the book, The uh, Brothers Mankiewicz, and uh, Alex Mankiewicz, who is Joe Mankiewicz's daughter. And if you prefer, you can also watch, instead of listening, you can now go to the Filmax Radio YouTube channel and watch us on that, this conversation. Thank you very much. Here it is, my conversation with Ileana, Alex, and Sidney, only here on Filmax Radio. That's okay. such a great poster, that uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's. Oh, thank you, yes. Oh, I'm moving, yeah. everything else is boxes, so I'm trying to find a, a good course. No, this looks great. Okay. I hope it, okay. It looks a little Does this better. light look terrible now? What, hon? I turned on the overhead light. I don't know. No, I you're better. No, you're much better now. But I hope okay. that, I, mean, okay. I have like, like real jerky, but maybe it's only my computer. Right. 
No, my it's such it's like fluorescent almost, you know. But if it's it's better than me sitting in the dark. Right. Unless you've seen my face before, in which case you may disagree with that. I don't know. All right, so what we'll do is let's just do something brief and fun, just casual, but be very so be very funny, very articulate, and very charismatic. Go. Okay. <laughs> you are all that way anyway. All right, so um, I'll I'll just let me introduce everybody that's here. Okay. Sure. All right, uh, uh, Ileana Douglas. Hi, I'm Ileana. I'm in Los Angeles. Not for long. Maybe that's not anybody's business yet, but. Yes. Um, and, and we have Alex Mankiewicz, who is coming from Australia, right? Yes, uh, early morning in Australia, yeah. Very early morning? Not very early, but, but morning, yes. Morning in Australia. Not quite yeah. mid-morning either, but okay. It, I, uh, this is, uh, and then we have, of course, Sydney Stern, who is the author of uh, The Brothers Mankiewicz. I should have, oh, I do, hold on. I look at me. I copy already. You should have bed earlier. Yeah. Now look, I have this because for some reason I have two copies, both, by the way, you know, signed by, by Sydney uh, um, because of, of, of an event where, they, they sent me another copy, which is only, I don't know what to, what should I give it to some, Cindy, what do you think? Should we, should I give this to somebody, uh, another Adam? Maybe another person named Adam. Does anybody know another Adam that would enjoy the book? Adam Sandler. And have a... Yes, Adam Sandler would be good. And then he could tweet about it or something like that. What that do? He has the thing he does. I, I, I should work on my Adam Sandler impression, but uh, I'll get, yeah, it's a good idea. And then maybe he'll do the podcast. Um, well, thank you all. And uh, we're here to talk about this event that we're, we're doing. When I say we, I don't mean me, actually. What you're doing at the 92nd Street Y. So, uh, and it's uh, a master class on the Manquitz brothers. And all three of you know uh, quite a bit about those two brothers, Joe and Herman. Obviously, Alex, you are the daughter of Joe Manquitz, mm -hmm. who uh, he, was, he directed such classics as No Way Out and uh, um, Letter to Three Wives, all about Eve, Cleopatra. Ghost to Mrs. Muir. Ghost to Mrs. Muir. Ghost to Mrs. Muir. Sleuth. Guys and Dolls. Julius Caesar. Honey Pot. The Honey Pot. Good one. Sleuth. I haven't seen The Honey Pot. Oh, The Honey Pot is great. Oh, good. Something to look You love it? You love it? Yeah, I love I mean, it's Rex Harrison. Exactly. Oh, exactly. And Maggie Smith early in her career. Yes. And wanted to make a star of Maggie Smith, but she didn't need him as it turned out. No wonder, no wonder you got along so well, Liliana. He would have loved to hear you like the honeypot. Oh, I love the honeypot. It's, it's terrific. It should be, it's so witty, you know, it's... And he was a glutton for punishment. He did four films with Rex Harrison. He was, was such a pain. Wow. But I was said, well, actually Maggie and, and, and Rex, were, the, were for him the two people who interpreted his words the best. So he put up with Rex. He loved Maggie. She was a real family friend. But uh, I, I could see that. he put up with Rex for four films just because he was, he was, yeah, he was a perfect mouthpiece. Yeah. Was he like an Anglophile? Is, is it safe to say? I mean, he. Dad? Yes. I think that's very safe to say. Mm. Yeah. And because Rex Harrison ballet dances in Honey Pot. So it's, I don't think I've seen him ballet dance in any other movie. So yeah. it's worth it just for that. 
And my yeah, mother was English. He's an Anglophile in that way as well. Well, he's um, a wordsmith, and he loved the language, and he want you know, and in the wrong hands, yes, his scripts could seem verbose, but in the right hands, there's the musicality to to everything, and certain people, you know, get it, and and certain certain people don't. Obviously, Rex Harrison. That's why I would agree that he he was such a great interpreter uh, of his. Well, these are the kinds of things hopefully you guys will be talking about on this panel, um, the master, a master class on the Brothers Mankiewicz, which is on September 22nd at 6 o'clock so, uh, p.m. Eastern time. So you can go to 92y.org and um, get tickets for this, uh, at this event. Um, and we're going to show, you're going to show clips uh, yeah. from, from various, various films. We mentioned... Um, Joe's films, but uh, he had a brother apparently who wrote a famous film, or <laughs> didn't he? Well, well, I think people have heard about Citizen Kane. Once yeah, true. But the the more about the this ongoing, never ending. People just cinephiles just love controversies when they find one. Right? There's no reason to, and nobody wants this uh, controversy about who wrote Citizen Kane. Was it? Herman or how much was it Herman? How much Orson? And, uh, but because if, if they just come up with a decision about it, then they can't fight about it anymore. Well, that might be true. I, the One of the weirdest experiences to me was when the book came out, there was so much about Citizen Kane to the exclusion of a lot about Joe, which I thought was very interesting. And a couple, several people told me the first, they turned to the Citizen Kane chapter and read that first and then went back and read the whole book, which, oh, yeah, it fascinated me. Oh, and then there's, there's such an, I mean, that, that's such an odd thing to do anyway, because the, the whole book is such an arc. I mean, you, 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 I guess, oh, I guess they got to read it twice, that chapter. <laughs> I read that's it. That's a good order. question. I don't know. I read it in order, because I think it's about the trajectory and the, the uh, the relationship of the two brothers that's what I find to be so fascinating and their strengths and their weaknesses you know that's exactly what it's about. Yeah. And so many people so many people again they sort of say it's so sad the, yeah. the book I mean, you know it's it's you know that it's it's a it's a uh, it's a dual biography with you know with a real emotional kick which is you know yes I think it broadens the appeal than just the sort of cinephiles arguing over yeah who wrote what which is still interesting, of course. I, I mean, as a reader, and I read the book before I, you know, met Sydney, of course, because uh, I met her way before I signed on in a, in a, in a more in a more professional capacity. But I, I was very moved by the book as well, and I, you know, because uh, they they not only was it a lot of fun, and both of these guys had such great senses of humor, but like all human beings, all people, there's tragedies and there's uh, you know, there's heights and there's dips in one's life, um, you know, ebbs and flows. And um, so she, you brought them such to, to life so well. Uh, mm -hmm. That's why I wanted to, to talk to you about the book. And that started the whole roller coaster, you know. Well, I wanted to call it When Life Louses Up the Script, which is one of Joe Mankiewicz's favorite things to say. You make plans and then it, it doesn't happen. But my publishers wanted Mankiewicz in the title. So I ended up with the subtitle, Hope, Heartbreak, and Hollywood Classics. And that heartbreak is meant to convey 
that mm -hmm. disappointment. But I also would say there is a lot of humor. These were both really funny, witty guys. Oh, and yeah. um, I was so excited to get an audio book and I really wanted a, a narrator who could convey the humor. I, I kind, I'm not an actor. I mean, Ileana can speak to this, but I would think seriousness might be easier to do in the audio part than being funny. And I wanted somebody to convey that too. And, and um, the narrator does a wonderful job, Jonathan Davis. Thank you. Wow. Well, so I also I the influence of the, you know, another thing the book uh, comes across is the influence of the wives of Sarah. You know, there, there's a, there, they are, are, it's not just about the two brothers. Sarah's um, sort of dogged determination to make sure Herman gets his rightful uh, place is very prominent. And, and also Rosemary, too, in the sort of the resurrection in, of, of Joe and, and giving him a safe haven, I think. It becomes very important, you know. I think. Well, their their father was this huge influence, pop, 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 and my goal was to rescue the grandmother and and show what their what their mother's influence was on Herman and Joe. And guess what? It really was pop, pop, pop. But the the women in the, in their in their actual their wives, I agree, then became more important. Yeah, and that's characters. Yeah, resurrection and, and safe haven, the lovely words, Juliana, that's absolutely spot on. I think it's true, though, you know what I mean? She's really responsible. And again, that's my own personal recollection, too, of meeting your mom, of that kind of, you know, the safe haven and guiding someone. And uh, yeah. that's a beautiful, beautiful relationship, you know? Very I meant to say all that. I meant to say all what she, that, that's what I was getting to about the wives. Oh, you were going to say that, right? Well, I was—I know from <laughs> no, Joe's no, diaries that no, that was I, his I, I, only happy. His family with with Rosemary, Alex's mother, and Alex was his happy nuclear family, and that was his mm -hmm. only happy nuclear. Yeah. Satisfying. Yeah. yeah. His 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 second wife was a a, a tragic figure. I mean, a, yeah. you know, beautiful, you know, actress, Austrian actress who yeah, who had a very unhappy. But you must read the book for that. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. I tell you everything. As you know, the upcoming David Fincher movie, Mank, is based on this. No, I can't. I'm just joking. Um, leave yeah. it to me. Yes. Liliana, I, I, yeah. you, you saw that picture. Do you saw the photo, rather, uh, right by you there of, of when you met Joe? You have a beautiful portrait of you and Joe Mankwitz. Uh, oh, I got it. You put it away. It's already packed and shipped off to. Uh, no, that was it's in my office. I have to leave camera. Do you, if you want okay. to, you can talk. No, yourself, I'll go get it. Talk amongst no, no. yourself. I'll go get no, it. No, no, no. Oh, geez, okay. there we go. She's good, uh, good. Got rid of her. We can go back to. Uh, well, you guys, you guys have done such an amazing job in the past. So I, 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 I don't. I mean it when I. It, I've, I've watched you guys uh, on the uh, TCM, you know, um, Mankiewicz family weekend, and then I saw the, uh, I heard, I was listening in on the, uh, uh, the luncheon, you know, and I know Alex, you, you, you were there for that as well, right? Uh, so um, snuck in at the end, yeah, because that was hilarious. Yeah. No, but it, it's always so uh, effort, it's, it comes fairly effortlessly and smoothly how you guys, 
work, you know, and talk about uh, these brothers, I, I guess because they are so ultimately um, so relatable. You know, you, they're not like, um, so, you know, these un, untouchable types, you know. They're complicated. They're, they're complicated. complicated. Yeah, that's a good that, way of putting it. I mean, when I did Gloria Steinem, I thought I'm never going to find anybody compli that complex and that complicated again. And I got not one, but two. <laughs> So and now maybe next time three or four. No, that's a secret. Don't tell. I haven't. Leave it up. We're just teasing people. We're just oh. we want we want people to keep tuning in. Multitudes. Your, your career. Multitudes, and, you know. right. You know. But um, yeah. Right. No, I, I as far as the Mank the movie goes, I can't wait to see how everybody's portrayed. Alex and I have both seen copies of a, um, a, a early script. We don't know what it's going to end up like, but the way they portrayed Herman rang true to me, and the way the early script portrayed Joe did not. So no, I just see all the, and I love the actress who's playing Sarah Tuppence Middleton. Sensei. About the name. I can't wait to see it. I packed the picture, Adam. I'm oh. sorry, but I no, did no. find. I found my lobby card. Oh wow! Ooh. One of my lobby cards. He signed all my. Fantastic. Oh, all my best. Oh, gorgeous. 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 Do you have a lot of that stuff? Do you have a lot of stuff to Alex? Um, some uh, kept a few a few pieces here and there. A lot of it went to the academy. Um, mm -hmm. I've got a, I've got the a poster. Oddly enough, no way out downstairs because it's Paul Rand's design, and I've always loved it. Um, yeah. So I've got, I've got that. I've got a, a Polish poster of All About Eve that I found for Dad years ago in London. Yeah. Had in studio. Um, but yeah, no, I mean bits and pieces. I, yeah, bits and pieces. I, he never signed anything for me. <laughs> Memories. Well, I he was very nice. I forced a lot of stuff on him to sign. He was very nice about it. Oh no, that's 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 superb. That's great. Yes, Liliana, you are you are the ultimate. I'm sorry, Alex. I interrupted you. Eliana is the ultimate fan and his film historian. It's like you're, you you know, most film historians kind of would never admit to being such fans of of. But you always, if you read Ileana's book, we can plug that too since we're talking. Yeah. Uh, it's called uh, I, Blame Mar I Blame Marlon Brando. <laughs> I was going to yeah. say, I Blame Dennis Hopper. I Blame Dennis and, Hopper. Uh, and if you consider yourself a film fan, these are the two books I, I could reach for my copy. I think it must be over there. I packed. Anyway, I think it's packed. Mine is packed. <laughs> Yeah. It's a really good read, and um, when I went back, because Ileana and I were talking about it, and I was looking back to tell her a couple of things, and I, I couldn't stop reading. I had to keep reading the whole thing again. It's that good a read. It really Oh, yeah, is. I read it. I and a slap just... out loud funny, too. It is, yeah. I'm working on another one. Is the, uh, is the Driftwood handy? Sydney, were you there for when we were talking about Marlon Brando's Driftwood? Marlon Brando's Driftwood. You I know think... about that? I have Marlon Brando. I do like I think the, it's in the book, isn't it? No, it's no, no, no. The far more tawdry stuff in the book, but <laughs> she, oh. she, we were when we first got on Zoom. Ileana was showing me some uh, uh, auction items that she bought from the uh, Marlon Brando. Marlon Brando's Driftwood. Oh, 
Does it come with a certificate that says it was really yes. hard? That's what I said. It's got a little Christie's, you know, a little tag. Because when I met him, we were talking about collecting rocks and shells and things. So that's what I was, that's what I was interested in. Stuff that he'd actually, you know, touched and stuff. Well, that's Billy Allen? I it's one of my bowls of rocks. I just, I know I'm crazy. I've got I actually food. have several pieces of driftwood that Marlon Brando touched to, and I'm selling them <laughs> if you'd like to buy them. <laughs> yeah. Look at this. This is a heart-shaped rock. Come on, that's pretty cool. This is Marlon Brando's, was Marlon Brando's bowl. Right, I'm letting right. it go for $3,000. I'm right. giving it away. Well, you guys, come on. This was him. This was Marlon's. This was some, This was his. This was in the hall. Oh, that's kind of great. Yeah. Wow. yeah. It's um. Wow. Uh, South I know. I love. I do. I love goofy things. What can I say? Oh, that's so good. And all my. I mean, I'm in the process of. Moving. Well, anybody can get anybody can get the leather jacket from the Wild Ones, you know, or yeah. the undershirt from streetcar but who has who has driftwood and you're from marlin these are here this was in the hall wow. you did buy a lot of stuff yeah it was like a whole bunch of junk but like fun junk you know was it one lot or did you bid on all these items no it was one lot oh they're all things and i was so excited because it was like what other people would have considered junk but I actually thought it was the coolest stuff because I knew it was stuff like all of us were tourists. We go here and there and we pick up little things, little tourist things. And that's why I knew that he personally picked it out. So that's why I thought it was kind of neat, you know. I'm going to wander. I'm going to go into the gift shop, guys. I'll be right back. Things <laughs> from the gift shop. I just imagine. I got of, not bad, not bad. I've got a lot of bizarro things. Wait a minute. I've shown this before, but this is my. I found this in a wig. This was like Peter Sellers, you know. Oh for, my god! When they when they need when they made his wig for being there. This, hmm. this was. Well, that is like a death mask, isn't it? No. Uh, yeah, isn't it weird? But they they could they put because it was a very tight. It wasn't like a full wig. But they, I guess they needed the front of his, they were experimenting with different facial oh. hair and beards and things like that. So I was going to get, um, was doing a movie and I saw this up on the wall and the guy gave it to me. So he, he let me have it. Well, so, for someone, for someone so. who liked to watch, his eyes are closed in that, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I and, guess it would have to be. Didn't he, do you know what Ileana's dog's name is? Do you know? I think I've seen the dog, but I don't remember its name. His I think name it came is... to our podcast. Yeah, his name is Chauncey. Wait, he's going to. Oh, Chauncey, him. right. Yeah. He wants to make an appearance. Yes, he does. He wants to make. Can you oh. see him? He's all. He's brown, so we're not very lit. I keep moving. Right. The sun keeps moving. So. That's all right. Oh, he's darling. Very, very beautiful. Oh, this I guess. Is... Right. I get a nice. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, let's see, Alex. Let's see. It's time <laughs> for Chevy. Oh, Typical yeah. cat. Typical she, cat. Well, she's been behind me very quietly, and I never pick her up like that. She's like, what are you doing? 
<laughs> Don't show. Stop trying to show. Alex, what's your name? What's her name? Sake. Sake, like the drink. Like, Sake. Love it. That's cute. Um, again, for these types of scintillating moments, yes. most memorable moments, you're not going to, you can't, this is, a, how much are they charging? Because whatever they're charging, it's too little. Well, yeah. next time, I hope other people have show and tell, aside from me. I brought all these props out. I want other, I want other props from other people. I was saying while you were retrieving oh, the, uh, uh, the lobby. Actually, other... Sorry, go ahead, Adam. Sorry. No, no, no. Please, Alex. I can, I can. Oh, just, well, no, just uh, while we're talking about props, I do have the four Oscars here. Do, you, does any, do we want those? Yes. Why not? Of course. Are you kidding? I've got one grandfather's Oscar. I'm always trying to pretend it's mine, you know? Well, that's, I mean, exactly. People say, why, you know, why aren't they, they're, they're behind me. They're in my coat closet, literally. I mean, you know, they're sort of tucked away behind the jacks. People are like, why aren't they out Because they're not mine. <laughs> that's the whole purpose of Zoom. It's like, wait a minute, does she have four Oscars behind her? Yeah, it's up, you're not lying. You're not saying that they're yours. They're just happen to be behind you. Well, I, I can leave them off screen for a while and just sort of right. like gradually. Good idea. <laughs> this is Oscar. This is Oscar. Got it. Um, by the way, just in case. If, it, if, if, you've if, seen, if you've seen Eliana in, let's say, I don't know, Grace of My Heart, for instance, uh, there should be an Oscar in her house for that. I, yeah. have, I, I have the being there, Oscar, which is it's good enough. I'll take credit for it. All right. Yeah. That's nobody asked ask for him and Citizen Kane Oscar is there. Whoops. Yeah. All right. Um, Interesting. Uh, so uh, go to 92y.org, yes. 92y.org for tickets. Uh, again, uh, the master class on the Mankwitz, Brothers Mankwitz, will be on Tuesday, September 22nd. Is that right? Did I get it right? Uh, 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern time. But anybody can, can get a ticket and wherever you are. Like in Alex's case, Alex, what time is it uh, at six o'clock? I know we're not doing it live, but what time is it? Uh, that, would, that would be um, eight o'clock. Eight o'clock in the morning, which is pretty oh. early for Mister Class. But and um, and it'll be eight o'clock in the morning the next day. Alex oh. will be in the future. Yeah, yeah, Alex yeah. Will be right. And you can tell us how it went. I know right. that's like ooh, right. everybody yeah. always does that kind of joke, right? Exactly. I love that. Don't miss this. It was great. <laughs> I miss it. It's great. I, I, I do an Australian also, but I'm always afraid. Like, I've had Australians tell me that's really good. Are you Australian? Sorry? But they yeah, could right. go terribly awry, so I don't, I'm not going to do it. Because, uh, you know, the worst thing is if you look at me and lose all respect. I, I don't think that could happen. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know. Couldn't resist. No, no, I had it coming. I, I set it up for you, one could argue. But Ileana, thank you for moderating the panel, by the way. Yeah, thank you. I can't wait. Especially in, no, no, you, uh, especially in, in terms, in, in considering your, your, you know, world is being packed as we speak. Your well, home. Anything to support the Mankiewicz clan. <laughs> It'll be fun, right. And this wonderful book for sale, still, you can order this in hardcover or in audio format, right? Or Kindle. Or in ebook, yeah. Ebook, ebook. 
Yes. Which we're hoping will be the result of this panel next, later this month. Right. So thank you guys. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Let's get you back to your lives. It's so uh, good to see all of you in your various places. It's I know. Well, I've, I've just, I've managed to move mine so that actually my breakfast issues were not visible. I realized that. Was <laughs> I just love you. I wish I could have that background. <laughs> it's so nice and, and plain. This is, this is the best I could do. I could what are those blue bottles up there? Aren't they pretty? Yeah. They're apothecary jars. I know. Oh. I was thinking I, I need to, I, I won't. I need to, um, no, I don't like the way I dress for the bottom. But they're turquoise and they're from New Orleans and they're apothecary jars. And my yeah. parents had four and I gave my, my niece two who lives in LA. So two of them live in LA and two of them live here. Oh yeah, and yeah, they're, they're cool. I love looking at people's bookcases, of course, I'm obsessed. And then what is that statue very much at the, at the top? That? The, that? Looks like yeah. it's onyx, onyx or something. It's a, it's a, it's a uh, what's the thing that starts with a G? Not a griffin, but a, a gargoyle. It's a gargoyle. Oh, it's a gargoyle. I got it at an auction in some, you know, country auction. It, I, it, it looks like some form of an award of some sort, so that's good. Sort of like Harry Pottery, you know. <laughs> well, I always tell people, Alex has been to my house. It's it's, oh. I tried to be very bare, spare and mid-century modern and in my new life, we used to have a Victorian, so the rest of the apartment looks like that. This is the real yeah. me, this. Total failure. <laughs> I also books, that's it. What'd you say, Alex? I said a total failure. <laughs> <laughs> but good effort. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I won't show you where all the, the bins of Mankiewicz those plastic bins full of files yeah. are that weigh about 50 pounds each or more. Yeah, that's. They have to go to the, uh, the, the uh, official library. I don't know where they're, I don't know what to do because the Joe's papers that are at the academy are a treasure trove. I mean, I, they allowed me to use them even when they hadn't processed a lot of them, which was just such a gift. And Rosemary was really generous and Joe had them in good order to begin with. I don't think they had to do a lot of, of processing. But I have stuff, I don't know where to donate it or, or sell it or whatever. But yeah, I, in fact, it, during this whole thing, I've meant to dismantle it and I can't bear to do that yet. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. Where do these things well, go, you know? Where do my things go? I've got my, you know? Yeah. I worry about, I think about that all the time. Should they go to the academy? I don't know. You know, you want everything to stay. Well, that you want that and usually places will cherry pick it. And when I finished my toy book, I had wonderful interviews that were really historic. You know, people die. And I ended up donating my catalogs, the toy catalogs, et cetera, to Fashion Institute of Technology because they have a toy design um, major. Right. And I made them take my interviews, because I know those were valuable, and I'm sure they went right into the cylindrical file. Oh, but God. It was heartbreaking. And my Gloria yeah. Steinem papers, I want to go where hers are eventually, but someone's using them right now to write another book about her, so. Oh. Yeah. I'm going to have to go problem. Because um, I've actually got a day ahead of you all winding down. I'm sort of, like, I can see my emails sort of piling up here. So, gotcha. um, we'll let you okay. go. It, we'll let you get to All it. Right. I pre appreciate your time.
and we'll what? I'll get the and I'll get the I'll try to get the the, the requests to the ninety two Y to fix whatever they got to fix on the website. Oh, I'll, I'll put in an email really quickly what I mean. That'd be great. I'll, I'll, I'll make sure that maybe Marion will get those requests because she's a little. Anyway, thank you very much, uh, Ileana, Alex, Sydney. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for, for setting this up. Right. Sure. We'll see, see you all soon. See you soon. See you soon. On the Bye, everyone. I hope I get the right link this time. I want to show up. I, I, I don't know when. I'm looking forward to whenever that happens. I, I just, I don't know what the next step is, but I assume that she'll, she has a process for this part of it. But, you know, I was like wondering, well, shouldn't you let, at least let us know what, what the process is for, you know, what to expect? You know, but I haven't heard anything. As long as we come out early and every technically everything will be okay. I was sitting on the on sitting there like all by myself for ten or fifteen minutes, wondering where you all were. Mm. <laughs> oh, not good. It was terrible. It was a you know it was one of those anxiety dreams. What can I say? Anyway, <laughs> at least you were you okay. 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 Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Everyone. Bye. We know you. We've seen you like this before. Is it over? or Is it just beginning? Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. Coming up on the show, uh, Cresha Fairchild returns to the show, as does Frank Mosley. They're both in a new film. It's going to be at the Woodstock Film Festival, in fact, which I'll be uh, hopefully doing some more publicity for on the podcast. Um, but they're in this new film called Freeland. So if you're in the Hudson Valley area, uh, maybe even if you're not, I guess now it doesn't matter, right? Because it could be a virtual screening. Again, it's called Freeland. So we have them coming up. And the screenwriter, Hampton Fancher, responsible for Blade Runner and Blade Runner 2049. My friend, Michael Taylor, the editor. Freedy Johnston, the singer-songwriter. And much, much more. Take care of yourselves and the ones you love. Please, until next time, take care.